Welcome to the Sisters in Crime Writers Podcast. Everyone has a unique writing journey, so join us for conversations about those journeys from the writers themselves. Julie Henrik is the Executive Director of Sisters in Crime, and I am delighted to welcome Robin Geigel to the podcast today. Robin is the author of Survivor's Guilt and By Way of Sorrow, published by Kensington Books. Both books feature transgender criminal defense attorney Erin McCabe and her partner, Dwayne Swisher. Robin is a member of Sisters in Crime National and the New Jersey Chapter. In addition to her writing, Robin is an attorney and activist who's been honored by the ACLU New Jersey and the New Jersey Pride Network for her work on behalf of the LGBTQ plus community. Robin is a frequent speaker on LBGTQ plus issues. She's a partner at the law firm of Gluck Walworth LLP in Freehold, New Jersey, where she handles complex commercial and employment litigation. Since 2010, Robin has been selected as a New Jersey super lawyer and has also been named as one of the top 50 women lawyers in New Jersey. In 2019, she was appointed by the governor and legislature to the New Jersey Transgender Equality Task Force. She's a member of the board of directors of Garden State Equality, New Jersey's largest LGBTQ plus civil rights organization. She's a graduate of Stonehill College and Villanova University Law School of Law. Robin lives in New Jersey, where she continues to practice law by day and work on her third novel by night. Fortunately, she has a very boring social life, and fortunately for us, she's given up any hopes of making it livelier by, by her writing. Thank you so much for being on the podcast, Robin. Oh, Julie, it is such an honor to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Well, I'm looking forward to talking about uh, about writing uh, and and your career, and also, you know, as a lawyer, how that has influenced your writing. Um, but let's start where I always start in these conversations. When did you say to yourself, "I want to be a writer"? So I know people can't see this, but I've been, you know, I've been practicing law for 45 years, so I'm older, let's just say. But the urge to, to write, I, I, it's got to be, uh, it's almost 42 years now. Um, wow. I started uh, a novel back when I was about 28 years old. And, um, you know, it, it sits in a briefcase to this day, written on yellow legal pads um, that never went anywhere. Uh, because of a, um, a growing legal career and a, a growing family and family commitments and things like that. And so that was, that was the start, though. I mean, it's something I've always wanted to do. Uh, I could go on in terms of how I ultimately got there, if you want me to, but that was the genesis. Well I love, you know, the idea of that first novel on yellow legal pads. And, and certainly, you know, my career started around that same time. So I, I, you know, I don't know that people understand lack of computers and what that was like. Um, but it's, when you started 42 years ago, had you taken creative writing classes? Did you have you, you know, in, in the time then or since developing your craft? Because um, that the 
Yellow legal pads probably taught you a lot about how to write a novel, um, but how did you develop your craft as a writer? You know, I, I am embarrassed to admit that, that I've never taken any formal writing classes. Um, I think I've learned a lot. At some point, um, I did take those yellow legal pads and give them to a typist. So they were yep. typed up, and we actually had copying machines then. <laughs> so I was able to, to make copies of them. And I gave them to a few people who, whose opinions I respect. And, I mean, after some withering criticism about the way I wrote, you know, you, you learn and, and you try to listen to people who know more about the craft than you do. Uh, and so I think I stored those things away. Uh, and then, again, you know, when, it, when the itch came back, uh, let's say in 2011, 12, um, again, I hadn't taken anything formal. I had been practicing law for a long time then, and we can talk about the difference between legal writing and, and writing yeah. fiction, because for me, I know there's a huge difference. Uh, I was on a panel with Michael Nava, and, and he thought they were similar, and I disagreed, but we can talk about that. Um, but I think that that experience in terms of, uh, of learning how to write and be succinct and, and convey a client's position in a way did help me to hone the writing skills and certainly some of the, the grammatical skills and the language skills that you need to, to be an author. Um, but again, embarrassed to admit that I've never taken any formal training of, of any kind. So. Well, it's, it's nothing to be embarrassed about. I, I think that uh, any craft is learned, you know, you could take classes certainly, but you also have to practice the craft and hone the craft. Right. Um, and that's important. I did a podcast interview with Wanda Morse a few weeks ago, who's also a lawyer. And she said that using the legal pad and writing, because she was so used to taking notes and sort of, that's how her brain, you know, because part of, part of legal notes is forming the story and create creating that, you know, idea that she still wrote longhand um, to get that first draft or to, if she needed to be re-inspired because, and she thinks it's because of her training as a lawyer. Do you find, uh, you know, how do you, how do you do that first draft? Do you still handwrite or do you, are you computer? No, I've morphed over the years. I mean, as I said, the first one was, was certainly doing it longhand on legal pads. Um, when I started to, to do um, another novel that has never been published or a manuscript that's never been published. I had been, you know, because of the legal practice, I had been used to dictating. And, and yeah. so, you know, it oh. was get that first draft down and then edit it and edit it and edit it. And so when I started doing that, the, 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 the second, what was my second manuscript, that's the way I started it. And then I realized, you know what, I'm, I just want to sit down and, and play with it as I'm doing it, you know, not wait for, you know, someone to type it up for me and, and work on it. I, I need to see it now. And so that's mm -hmm. why I switched to a computer. And now I do all my writing directly right on the computer. Um, and do you, are you a plotter or a pantser or how do you, how do you, how do you write your novels? The answer is yes. <laughs> so, um, when I was fortunate enough in 2018, uh, that Kensington acquired my first novel by the first one that sold by way of sorrow, um, 
amazingly, um, they signed me to a two-book deal. Um, and so the, by way of sorrow was definitely a pantser. I had the general idea of the story. I, I mean, uh, basically I had been inspired by, you know, parts of To Kill a Mockingbird. Um, not that I'm comparing by way of sorrow to Kill, to kill a Mockingbird in any way. Um, but I was fascinated by the fact that Tom Robinson, the young black man who's accused of the crime in To Kill a Mockingbird, we never get into his head. It, the whole story is to told from the point of view of Scout, the six-year-old na narrator. And so I was fascinated. What was Tom thinking this whole time? Because it's 1930s, deep south. He had to know, you know, from a character standpoint, that he was in big trouble. But you never are inside of his head. So I wanted to write a story where I was inside a character's head who was accused of something, you know, in this case, accused of the murder of the, the only son of one of the richest and most powerful politicians in the state of New Jersey. And when I was kind of doing it in my own head, it was like, no, I can't be, I can't write the character, the, the story from that point of view because the character is a trans, uh, a black trans woman. Um, and that's not my lived experience. And so while I can, you know, write some parts of that novel from her experience, having talked to other people and made sure that I developed that character correctly, um, I, I decided to do it from the point of view of Aaron McCabe, who's the, the main protagonist in, in both books. And Aaron is a transgender woman, as am I. Erin um, is a criminal defense lawyer, and I've done a lot of criminal defense work in my day, even though I don't do it now. Um, but there's differences. Erin's young. Erin's very attractive. I'm neither of, neither of those. Um, and, and so I had that, you know, that I had those two characters, and I kind of knew what the story was going to be. But it just, I pantsed it the whole way. Um, and people who I thought were going to live died. People who I thought were going to die lived. And it was, it was a fun journey. And again, because it's the first, you know, you're not under any of those pressures. Right. right. You don't have a contract. Yes. You get all the time in the world. Yes. <laughs> and so, as I said, um, you know, when Kensington signed me, it was a two-book deal. And I said to, to my agent, Carrie Pistrino, I said, Carrie, this is amazing. This is wonderful. But I have a problem. I only have one book. And she said, you'll write a book too. Don't worry. And so for those in the audience that don't know, when you are assigned to a book too, before you write it, your editor, your publisher wants to see what the story is going to be before they give you the okay. So yeah. for book two, I had to do more, and I won't call it an outline. It was a synopsis. I guess it was about 12 pages. It didn't have to be chapter by chapter. It wasn't that kind of, of detail that they mm -hmm. wanted. But I had to plot it out a little bit more than what I did with By Way of Sorrow. And so Survivor's Guilt is kind of a hybrid. It, it certainly was, was plotted out a little bit more. Mm -hmm. But again, uh, I have a great editor at Kensington, and he gave me the freedom that as long as the story didn't come in totally different than what I had proposed, that right. I had leeway within there to, to let the story develop as it went along. And it, it did, but it, it did pretty much, you know, stay true to the, to the synopsis that I had given him. So I've experienced both. Um, I mean, you know, I think 
from my perspective, I'm working on book three now because I was fortunate enough that Kensington signed me to do books three and four again. And so I'm working on book three. And again, I had to go through the same process of doing that outline or or synopsis. And with book three, I'm finding that I'm straying from it probably a little bit more than I did with book two, but having fun with it. So, yeah. Well, and the nice thing about knowing there's a three and a four is that you can have a little bit of an arc between those two books too. You know, you want to solve, there's nothing worse than a cliffhanger that doesn't get solved for a year, but, but you could still tell the second part of the story in book four. So, and now that you've written two books, it doesn't make it easier, but it, you know, you can do it. Yeah, I I mean, I'm not sure that this craft ever gets easier. No. no. Um, And and then there's the pressure of, okay, I've had one and two and, you know, they're published and they're they're out there. You know, can I replicate it with book three? There's that kind of pressure, Um, you know, and uh, so I don't think it ever gets easy. And and listening to authors and, and, you know, speaking with people, I think we all suffer those those pangs of, of out and, you know, is this going to be okay? You know, am I going to be able to do it again? Can I replicate what I did? So tell me a little bit about Aaron and how you, how you sort of, I love the story about not, not telling a story that wasn't your own. So you wanted to, you know, you want to center something you know. I mean, this is a conversation a lot of folks are having, um, but that how the story, you know, Erin became your, your, your center of your story. So tell me a little bit about her and um, how you, how you came up with, how she came to visit you and say, tell my story. (laughs) So as I had said earlier, you know, leaving aside the manuscript that's set in, in the briefcase for decades, I did finish another manuscript, which got me my agent. Um, and it, fortunately for the world, it was never published. And fortunately for me, it was never published. But it was a different character. And it's interesting because one of my beta readers is my, my one of my children. I have three children. And, and my middle child, Colin, is also a published author. And so we're each other's beta readers. And so when I had given him the manuscript for the book that never was published, he said, and it it involved the transgender main, you know, protagonist. And he said, I I just, it's too much like you. It's just too much like you. It, it bothers me. And I'm like, okay. And so while that manuscript was out being shopped by my agent, I said, okay, let me, let me come up with something different. And then as I explained, you know, the, to kill a mockingbird, you know, tell this, tell a story from different points of views. And I wanted a character that, you know, was transgender because I Mm -hmm. think that's an important story to tell. Um, Mm -hmm. I wanted somebody who was, was, was smart and, and kind of fearless in her own way. And so, as you said, Aaron came to visit and said, here, here I am. I'm your character. Uh, as I said, she's young. Um, and, um, you know, she's, she's, you know, about nine, 10 years into her career, which is far different from where I am in my career. Um, but I wanted somebody who was a passionate criminal defense lawyer, which she is, um, really dedicated to her clients, which she is. And yet a, a, a real character who, who, 
has a great sense of humor and, you know, but at the same time, it has all the issues that other characters have in terms of real life. Family that's struggling with the fact that she's transgender. Um, you know, attachment issues in terms of a boyfriend all of a sudden that she, you know, she has. And so, it, you know, I, I thought it was a good way to tell a story about a community that a lot of people don't know anything about and humanize it and, and have a character that people could see and say, oh, I kind of get it now. Yeah, what I, I love that I'm hearing from you and what resonates with me is that it's Erin is who she is and it's important that she's who she is, but that's not, that's part of who she is. Exactly. So having a transgender woman as the center of the story is really important. And it also, I'm not going to say it doesn't matter, but it's, it's just part, it's who she is. And we don't get to read novels centered on a transgender central character that often, if at all. Um, and so that's a, that's a wonderful opportunity for readers as well. Yeah. And I wanted, um, Aaron, and and in by way of sorrow, the one of the other main characters, Sharice Barnes, who's the the young woman who's charged with the crime. I wanted them to be at the point in their life where they had gone through the gender confirmation process. So they were they were living in accordance with their identity. That's who they are. They they're women, mm -hmm. and so it's not a story about them transitioning. It's a right. story about here they are at this point in their lives facing these challenges, and. As you said, part of those challenges are who they are. But I wanted to write a legal thriller, and um, yeah. I I had um, the distinct honor of being on a panel with with Sean Cosby, and and he he stole he beat me to it because I was going to describe what I did as as a Mary Poppins method, and and he got there before I did, um, which is you want to give the people what they want, which in my case is a legal thriller. That's, you know, that's the, the hook that I want to mm -hmm. get the people in on. And then you want to, you know, give them the medicine along with it, that spoonful of sugar. You're giving them what yeah. they want, but maybe you're educating them a little bit about something that they don't know about, or they've heard other right. things about that maybe not are not accurate. So it's, you know, um, kind of, I want the, the, you know, the straightest couple sitting on the beach to, to be reading my novel and saying, this is a really good legal thriller. And by the way, yeah. did you know this about somebody who's transgender? Yeah. Yes. Yes. No, just enjoy the thriller. Yes. <laughs> enjoy the thriller, which happens to also um, have another layer to it, which I think is really, you know, it's just important um, that, that voices are heard and we, you know, the whole own voices movement, uh, we have diversity in books and it's really important. Yeah. Um, and it's, I, I think feel like right now it's happening a lot. I just want to make sure we keep talking about it and, and reading these books and supporting authors because we don't want this to be a trend that goes away. We are fad. We want this to actually be something, you know, that happens all the time. Yeah. And, and it's, it's interesting. I mean, I, Somebody asked me once whether I, I thought my books were an important resource for, for young adults in terms of 
telling a story that they could identify with. And I'm not sure that they're really the right audience for my books. It's, it's probably more their parents um, that, you know, like your kids are okay because here's, here's how they'll turn out. They'll be okay. You know, trust and listen to your kids because here's characters that, you know, you can identify with as a parent and say, Oh, okay. Yeah. It'll be okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, no, I think that's a wonderful way of, uh, of thinking about it for sure. Um, but legal thrillers, lawyers writing legal thrillers, this, you know, this is a, a, a mo- like what made you say, I want to write a legal thriller, I mean, and not a mystery or not, you know, rom-com or, <laughs> I mean, you're a lawyer, so I get it. But, but, you know, was this the genre that always pulled you in? Was this what you read or is this just how you thought about this story? I think it's a, it's a combination of all of the above. I mean, you know, Scott Turow read me early on with, with you know, his books. Um, John Grisham obviously is, is someone that I read through the years, um, both of whom are lawyers. And, and you know, uh, I know Grisham sometimes goes off a little bit from the legal thriller genre, but, you know, most of his books are, fall within there. Um, same with, with Scott Turow. So, you know, those were people who certainly influenced me. Um, and, you know, look, I'm at a point age-wise where I don't have a lot of time to experiment. And so, you know, the old bromide, write what you know. I mean, yeah. I, I took that to heart because, as I said, I I have done a fair amount of, of criminal defense work in my day. Um, and so I had that experience. I had the experience of being a trans woman. And so it just seemed to be a real natural fit and something that I felt comfortable with. Something mm-hmm. that um, I knew that, you know, where the drama lies in a, in, a, in a case, and it's sometimes in the courtroom, sometimes it's not in the courtroom. Sometimes right. it's the stuff happening outside the courtroom that provides the, the fulcrum for w- what's going on. Um, and so I, I felt really comfortable just saying, let me try here because I think I know this stuff and I think I can tell an exciting story. Yeah, and the thriller is a um, is a whole different. Uh, the mechanics of a thriller are different than a mystery or a suspense novel. So you know, it's that beating the clock and ratcheting up and and you know tightening things up. And you have said you haven't taken formal classes, but you're obviously a, a huge reader and, and you've worked on this. Was it easy for you to figure out pacing and, and building up the suspense or to think about the story that way? Because thrillers really I feel like it's a, a just a rope that gets tighter and tighter and tighter till you spring forward to the end. Um, because it's not easy to write thrillers. Um, and maybe ignorance is bliss <laughs> um, because, you know, if somebody had told me, oh, this is really hard, you're going to have a, a tough time doing it, um, maybe that would have discouraged me. But I, I give, certainly with By Way of Sorrow, I give a lot of credit to my agent um, because, you know, she would read drafts as I was going going along. And then, then I have, uh, you know, an outside editor that I use. Um, who again, um, Andrea Robinson, who, you know, has been in the biz and, and, and knows it. And they were both very helpful in saying, this is dragging a little here. Maybe yeah. you should do this here. Um, maybe you want to cut this out here. I mean, 
there's there were you know a couple chapters that you know just I really when I wrote them I was like oh boy these are good and then you know the old you know um, what is it bury your babies kill your babies yeah. um, you know kill your darlings yeah kill your darlings <laughs> um, they went. And, um, I, obviously I think it's a better book because of that, but they certainly helped me along the way in terms of saying, eh, you know, maybe too much of, of Aaron's personal life here. Maybe you want to save that, some of that for later because it's slowing the pace down. Maybe you Mm want to take this here and put it up, up, you know, a little bit earlier in the novel so that you have some foreshadowing of what's going to happen. And so those are little tricks that they helped me with. So, yeah. Yeah, well, and which is, the, you know, part of the process of writing is figuring all that stuff out and, and listening to trusted voices um, to, to give you that feedback and being willing to kill your darlings, because it is hard to do. <laughs> yeah, no, it is. Um, and and I, I have to say that the experience of writing uh, the manuscript that I finished and that, and that my agent was shopping, the feedback that I was getting from editors, publishers on that it was also very educational. It, it showed me why they didn't think it was, you know, right for them. You know, the key phrase, yeah. it's not right for me. Yeah. And, but, you know, I, I think, you know, writers can either become discouraged by that or you can say, Hey, listen, these people know a little bit about what they're talking about. So maybe I should be listening to them and, and taking their advice um, and not viewing it as a failure, but viewing it as a learning process and, and taking that to heart and, and mm-hmm. using it to your advantage the next go round. Robin, what you just said is, is something that uh, is so important for people to hear because, you know, when you're shopping your novel, so now we're talking, you know, there's the writing journey, which you can control. And then there's the publishing journey, which you can't control as much. If when they say it's not for us, uh, you know, it's literally a business decision where they're saying, we don't have a place for this, or it's, you know, we don't, uh, we're not, we've got three legal thrillers coming out anyway, or or whatever. And if you get consistent feedback about, you know, drags in the middle or something, then maybe it's something you work on, but it's, it could, it's also could just be that it wasn't for them. You needed to find your, your publisher. Yeah. Um, What do you wish you'd known earlier about the publishing journey that you found out as you were going through this? I think, I think what I had talked about earlier about learning from that and not viewing it as a failure, I, I don't think that that was my initial approach. I mean, it was like, you know, why don't they like it? What's wrong with it? You know, and I wish somebody had explained to me, not explained to me, but I wish I understood that it is a journey. And, you know, somebody like myself with no formal writing uh, credentials you know, it does take time to develop those skills that are needed. And again, maybe it's my age, maybe it's because I, I have been relatively successful as an attorney that yeah. you're used to, to certain things happening right away. And the publishing <laughs> business does not, no matter what, does not happen right away. Yeah. You know, no matter what it is, <laughs> whether it's getting the agent, getting an editor, you know, a publisher, or getting it published even once they buy it. 
Yeah. No, it's a, it's a long process, isn't it? Yeah. And so I wish I, you know, I, I know that now I learned it. I probably learned it a little bit the hard way in terms of getting frustrated and, and upset and everything else. So, but, um, you know, so that was something that I think I had to learn and grow. And uh, did you, I, I think it's interesting what you said about having had a successful career and not probably remembering what it was like 40 years ago as you're building the career. <laughs> so like you're 40 years into a successful career. Um, it's humbling to rebuild a new career. Uh, it's also fun, but it's, it's not, it's humbling to do that 40 years in, right? Uh, yeah. I, I mean, I'd like to think I, I have a good perspective on myself. I don't take myself too seriously, um, either in the legal business or, or the, in the publishing world. Um, so I, I like to think I have a good perspective on that, but you're, you're right. It, it is, it is hard to, to keep things in perspective. And as I said, for me, writing is totally different from practicing law. I know other people don't feel the same way that I do, but for me, it's, it's a diversion. It's a love. Uh, it's, it's what yeah. I do for fun. Uh, yeah. so I think I'd be writing, even if I wasn't published, just, you know, keep, keep trying to do it because it is, it is really challenging when you, you know, you get to the point in your, in my legal career where I think I'm, I know what I'm doing and I, I think I can handle myself well in most situations. And then you start something brand new. And it's like yeah. uh, baby steps because th this is, you know, not something that I have a whole lot of experience with. And, um, you know, I, I won't even call what I'm doing a, a career in the sense that if I didn't have a day job, <laughs> I don't know what I'd be doing. <laughs> <laughs> um, so what is the best piece and the worst piece of writing advice you've ever gotten? Oh, I, you know, honestly, I don't know that I've gotten any really bad advice. And again, maybe it's just ignorance is bliss. I, I mean, I'm, I'm relatively new to this. Um, so it's not like I was in a, you know, a master of fine arts program and somebody said, don't ever do this. And, and, you know, you, you stick to that to your detriment or something like that. Right. Um, so, uh, you know, that I, I don't think I have anything that I can point to and say, Oh boy, I wish they had never told me that because that was off base. In terms of, of the best advice, you know, again, probably my agent's encouragement, just don't give up. Listen to what they're saying. You know, understand that, as you said, there's sometimes when it's just a business decision. It's just, right. nope, not right for us because we have two already in the pipeline for us. Or maybe it's, you know, they don't like the, the main character or something like that. But right. when they give you that feedback that, you know, we think this is, you know, we don't think the characters are fully developed or, or they're, you know, two-dimensional. Uh, you know, to me, having Carrie tell me, you know, pay attention to what they're saying. Don't take it as a failure. Just take it as something that you can learn and grow from. And, and, and taking that to heart and, and saying, okay, you know, if this is something that I love and this is something that I, I'm passionate about, let me try to get better at it. Yeah. 
And you said that you have a child who's also a writer. Yes. Um, my, I have three children. My son, Colin Geigel, um, in 2016, he has a book out called The Ferryman Institute. It was published by Simon & Schuster. Um, so, yeah, I, I credit Colin with um, getting um, my itch to write, um, to scratching it again. Um, back in... Oh boy. Um, I never get the years right. I'm going to say 2011. Um, he had graduated college. Um, he was both a computer science major and an English major. So he had, he had more formal training in writing than I did. Um, and he said to me, do you ever, do you ever hear of NaNoWriMo? And I was like, no, what's NaNoWriMo? And it, you know, write a, write a novel in the month of November. And he said, let's do it because he was always, you know, interested in writing. He, you know, has a talent. Um, and so he, that was something that he wanted to do. So he got me involved with NaNoWriMo. He, he successfully did it, but he was living at home, you know, working out of the basement at the time. I I was a (laughs) full-time lawyer at the time. Um, but, um, as I said, I credit him with that brought back that urge to write again. And, and of course, as I said, we've been each other's beta readers now for for a long time, and um, his success, uh, you know, in terms of getting his book published, really inspired me to to keep at it. Yeah, and it must be nice to be able to have a conversation with somebody in your family who understands what you're talking about, because families can be very supportive, but they don't know how to have the conversation about publishing or writing because it's, it's, they care about you, but they don't, they don't know what, you know, they can't support you in the right way. Whereas he could say, yeah, listen to that advice or, or, you know, give you tough love when needed and also give you a safe space to talk about things when you are frustrated. Yeah. And, and I will say I, I have, he has an older brother and, uh, you know, so I have an older son and, and a younger daughter and I mean, I guess one thing that my wife and I did when that was really worked out for the kids was we instilled in them a, a love of reading. Um, and I know my yeah. oldest son would, would like to write. I mean, he's, he has a manuscript that sits in his briefcase right now. Um, yeah. although, you know, he's of the age where it sits on his computer, not in his briefcase. <laughs> um, and, uh, but the, they, they all love to read. And so in that sense, you know, the conversations, uh, are, yeah, Colin and I talk more about the craft probably than we would to, to Tim and Kate. Um, but, um, you know, they, they all love to read and we all share books and share things that we've read that we, we really enjoy. Um, so. That's awesome. Um, do you, Robin, I'm going to ask you, a. a, a you know, a question that I'm just, I've been thinking about. Do you think that 10 years ago, Aaron would have, uh, your book would have been published having a transgender woman as a central character in a book would have been published or is it, are we in a time now where people are searching for new voices and you were there at the moment? Um, my guess Julie, is that it would not have been published. Um, When I came out in in 2007, 2008, most people didn't know what it meant for someone to be transgender. Um, So I have a feeling that, you know, had I I done it, you know, 
while I was going through that process. And even if I had written the exact same book, um, I don't think it, it would have been picked up because I don't think people would have thought there was an audience for it. Um, and it's interesting that, uh, when I wrote by way of sorrow, it, I said it in 2006, 2007, uh, and I did that on purpose for a lot of reasons. Number one, you know, I wanted certain technology not to be there. I didn't want people to say, oh, this politician is so-and-so because it's not, I made them up. Um, and, but the other thing was that, you know, when I started by way of sorrow, it was probably, I want to say 2016, 15, 16, things looked like they were improving in terms of the transgender community and the LGBTQ community writ large. And, you know, things were happening in a positive sense. And, and so I wanted to, to take people back to, to write, you know, part of what it's like for somebody who's transgender in an environment that seemed less friendly or less mm-hmm. knowledgeable. Um, you know, a, as we all know, things changed um, as a result of the election in 2016. And, you know, for for a lot of different, um, you know, minority communities, the LGBTQ plus community, the transgender community, racial communities, ethnic communities, immigrant communities, things, things went backwards. Um, mm-hmm. And so while I thought I was writing it where it was going to be a lot more accepted um, in terms of how people view transgender people, it turned out that when it was published, and it was only published in, in, in 2021, um, that, you know, maybe not so much. So maybe, yeah. you know, I didn't think I was being that prescient at the time. Um, but, you know, unfortunately, you know, we had kind of gone backwards from when I started it, when it hit bookstores. And so, um, you know, in the sense that it got picked up in 2018, I do think that that was a really opportune moment for a transgender author with a transgender main character to come along. Um, I, I do credit Kensington Books and my editor, um, John Scamilio, who I was named, I always butcher and I apologize, John, if you're listening, um, <laughs> for taking a chance on me, mm-hmm. a, a transgender woman who's never you know, had anything published and, and signing me to a two book deal with a main character who's transgender. Mm-hmm. So I give them an incredible amount of credit for having the courage to do that. Um, but again, not taking anything away from John or Kensington, if that, you know, book had gone out to them in 2009, I'm not sure the reaction right. would have been the same. Right. And if it wasn't a good book and she wasn't a good character, you wouldn't have two more books on a contract. So it's not, it's also that, you know, you, you, they're well written, you've done well. I just, I, I, I think it's interesting to have placed them in 2006, 2007 and was, was, who knew, but that's actually lets you have a dialogue with the current day that we need to have. Yeah. And and it, and it's, I mean, you know, no spoilers here, but, you know, in terms of book three, it's provided me the opportunity because, again, book two ends in 2009, book three picks up in 2009. But, you know, because it's a novel, I have the freedom to see what's going on now and take that and spin it into those terms in 2009. So, you know, the the things in terms of what's going on in terms of um, 
criminalizing, you know, parents and doctors for, for getting treatment for their, yeah. for their transgender kids yeah. and, yeah. you know, denying transgender health care to kids and, and yeah. preventing kids from playing high school sports because they're transgender. I mean, those are things that I can look at and say, okay, how can I spin them into the novel? Because these are things that I think are important to talk about, even though they weren't happening in New Jersey in 2009, they were, right. they were, you know, how they were taking place elsewhere in the country. Right. Um, and so it, it's kind of given me some freedom that I might not otherwise have. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and be able to talk about things, um, that are really important to talk about. Yeah. <laughs> um, hopefully by the time you're doing the copy edits on this book, things will have changed so that you'll be able to um, change things. But right now is a, is a pretty terrible time um, yeah. for a lot of folks. The transgender community is under a lot of um, pressure uh, in a lot of different states, in a lot of different ways, and uh, their support systems are are also under pressure, and it's terrible. Yeah. No. It's just terrible. And, and, I, and I will confess there's probably a lot more anger in, in book three than there was in yeah. book one and two, just because of, the, uh, of what you just said, um, the way yeah. that kids are being persecuted um, yeah. and their parents yeah. and their and health their parents. providers. I mean, yeah. it's, it's horrible. It's horrible. And it's, you know, we have to take care of each other and, and think about life intersectionally. And, uh, and we can't, well, I don't know anyone who's transgender, so it doesn't affect me. Of course it affects you. It affects everybody. Yes. Um, because this is, you know, a poison that takes over society. Yeah. Um, and, so, and we're talking about, at the end of the day, we're talking about kids, kids. and kids lives yep. and making sure kids survive. Um, and I, and I, I, you know, I, as you know, I do a lot of public speaking on, on LGBTQ plus issues and I recommend to everybody that they Google the, uh, governor Spencer Cox's veto message. He's the governor of Utah. Um, he gave a veto message, um, when he vetoed the, the bill banning transgender kids from participating in sports, high school sports, that was incredibly powerful. And um, I, I recommend it to everybody because here's a Republican governor in a very Republican state, but who recognized the humanness of everyone yeah. in his state. Yeah. No, it's I, I I will put a link to that in the show notes. How does that sound? That's wonderful. So that people That's can great. find it because it really is a very powerful letter. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, you know, I appreciate this conversation. I appreciate your being, you know, willing to talk to me about these issues, but, you know, let's, let's talk about the writer. Sure. Geigel. Um, you're working on books three and four. Well, three. Book three. Well, you got, but, but book four is there. Um, and who knows, maybe there'll be more or maybe there'll be a new character. Um, but one thing that when I talk to writers, uh, we talk about is community. And the importance of finding your writing community, which I don't know that every writer always understands how important that is. Even, even when you're just saying barely aloud, I want to be a writer, how you need to find people. <laughs> um, can you talk about community and the role that's played with your writing career? Sure. And, and what you just said is so important. 
I, you know, you talked about advice that you had or didn't have. I wish I had known before I even sat down to write about the community. Because I have to tell you that, I mean, Sisters in Crime, other, you know, organizations that I belong to, they are so, so wonderful. And to hear and listen to other writers and, and share stories and, and, and just exchange the, you know, the camaraderie that comes with people that are doing similar things to you is, is so rewarding. I can't say enough good things about fellow writers. I mean, you know, I think there's this perception that, you know, we don't want somebody else to succeed because then we can't succeed. Well, it, it's not a zero sum game. I mean, right. I have, I, I haven't seen any or encountered one writer who was jealous of anybody else's success. They, we all celebrate everyone's successes. And, and if somebody gets an award, we're all there for them. And if somebody doesn't get the award, we're all there for them. Right. And it's just, I can't say enough. And I'm not blowing smoke because I'm on the Sisters in Crime podcast. I'm saying it because I wish I had known it sooner. I mean, I didn't join until, you know, after my first book was published because I kind of had the feeling that, oh, well, you know, I'm not really an author yet. I haven't published anything. And what you said earlier about how it's so important, even if you're not published, even if you're just thinking about published, even if you're like, well, maybe someday that would be a wonderful thing to think about just to get to know people and listen to people and, and hear their experiences I can't tell you how wonderful it's been. And and my regret is that I didn't do it sooner. Yeah, well, we're glad you're a, a member now. I, 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 I so agree with you. I was at Left Coast Crime uh, recently and, and working at the Sisters in Crime table and met a couple of people who, you know, can I join as a reader? And in having a conversation, I could just tell she's secretly a writer. <laughs> but she's just afraid to say anything. So I said, of course you could join and you can. Yes. Um, Sisters in Crime is open to everybody at all stages of your career and with librarians and booksellers and readers and, and writers. Um, but um, I also thought, yes, you can join because I think you want to write a book and we you need to be around people who are going to do nothing but but support that. Yeah. I, I mean, the, the, the seat is there and, and just, yeah. you know, if she, she gets involved, other writers will water that seed and it, it will, you yeah. know, grow and blossom. And so, yeah, now, as I said, my, my one regret is that I came to it, you know, later, but I'm my, but she, you know, I will take solace in the fact that I got here and I'm thrilled that yes. I got here. Yes, no, and, and, and we're thrilled and thrilled for your success. This is great. So you're working on book three now, yes. um, which is that going to be out in 2023? That would be my guess. I mean, as you know, uh, a lot depends. It's it's due to Kensington on August 1st. I think I'm on track to get it in on time. But then, as you know, the editing process has a life of its own. Um, so, um, (laughs) I mean, and, and again, as you know, for people who don't know, authors have very little to do with publication dates and when things come out, um, it's all part of what's in the queue, what they already have scheduled, where you're going to fit. Um, so, uh, you know, 
when I submitted in August and I was saying this to somebody the other day, I don't have any expectations that anything's going to happen in August because the publishing world goes on vacation yeah. in August. Yeah. Um, so whenever I get my edits back from John, I think I'll, I'll have a better idea um, in terms of when it's going to come out. I would love to see it come out in, in June, 2023 for pride. Um, yeah. But again, I'm just, I'll be thrilled if it comes out. <laughs> <laughs> well, it will come out, but, but um, I think that, uh, yes, it's, it is so interesting, isn't it? The whole publishing journey and what that looks like and time. And, you know, it seems like nothing's happening, then everything happens. And, you know, <laughs> yeah. and the way they schedule things, I mean, there's so many people who are involved with those conversations. Yes. No. Um, And, and again, it's, it's not the authors (laughs) that are involved in the conversation. The only, the only time I had input was um, by way of sorrow was supposed to come out in June of 2020. Um, And in March of 2020, this little thing called a pandemic came along. And um, so, uh, you know, John reached out to me and said, look, I know you're going to be disappointed, but, we don't know what the world is going to look like in June. We don't know if there's going to be bookstores open. We don't know what's going to be going on. So we're going to delay it. And he said, you know, we're thinking about, you know, the summer of 2021. And I said, well, is there any chance we could do, you know, the end of March because, you know, there's chance day of visibility. Um, And, you know, maybe that would be kind of a good hook. And that's the only time I got input because uh, it did come out in March of 2021. Well, and so many people with pandemic debuts, it it's it's hard. I, and you know what you would normally do is go to certain conferences and be able to go to public signings and do this and do that, and you couldn't do it. And even now, it's just slowly starting to open up. And fortunately, there's Zoom and there's other opportunities. But um, uh, a lot of pandemic debuts, it's been a rougher road. So you know your success is so well deserved, but it's also you know, hats off because this has not been an easy time to, to get out there. Yeah. And, and I have, I guess the distinction, and I'm sure there's others who have had two books published during the pandemic. And, um, I, I was fortunate enough to do a a live event this past Saturday. And that's the only, the second one that I've done with two books, because as you say, there, nobody was doing anything, um, for, you know, for almost the full two years that I've been out there. Yeah. What a time. What a time. (laughs) Yeah, no. And so, I mean, I guess in one sense it's good because I don't know what I missed. No, it's not like I had a book come out in 2019 and did a book tour and said, Oh, this is great. This is going to be fantastic. And then one comes out in the pandemic and there's nothing. I mean, right. I, I don't know anything life different from, from what I've experienced that while I hear is other authors talking about their experiences and going, Ooh, that would have been nice. I wish I could have done that. Um, but I mean, you know, fingers crossed that things are, are starting to get better and, you know, um, things, you know, I, I didn't go, um, to, to the conference, but, uh, I'm starting to think about ones down the road. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, BoucherCon is coming yes. up, and you know, yeah, which will be fun. You know, usually, so for folks who don't know, BoucherCon is the largest mystery conference in the world. Um, it's a fan conference, so there's a lot of writers there, but there are a lot of readers, and it, you know, at its peak, it can be up to 2,000 people there. So it's yeah. a lot of people. Um, and we'll see. It's going to be in Minneapolis in September. And um, I hope that I hope it does well. It's had to cancel the last two conferences. I don't think it will cancel. But, um, you know, we need to be together. I mean, the, it is a, the crime writing community is a wonderful community. I think it's we work out a lot of issues on the page. So the people are very kind. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's a very good way of putting it. Um, right. And I am signed up for Bouchercom, so, you know. Oh, good. Um, All right. We'll see. I mean, I, I have the not only the pandemic in terms of that to worry about, but I also have a, a trial schedule that, you know, you talk about the publishing schedule and having no control yeah. over that. <laughs> I'm at the whim of judges, and so not all of yeah. them are, are easy to say. But judge, I'm going to go out to Minneapolis. Right. I have a book that came out. Yeah. So (laughs) I'm keeping my fingers crossed. I'd love to be there. There's so many people, you included, that I would love to meet in person. Yeah. Does your do your law partners and everyone else say no? You're doing this. I mean, how is how's how's the response in your legal world to this other facet? I mean, did you just sort of pop up one day and say, "Oh, by the way." got a thriller coming out? No, I, I disclosed everything. Um, I I joined my current firm about six and a half years ago. Um, the firm that I was at for almost 30 years, we dissolved that towards the end of 2015. Um, and so I've been with this firm for six and a half years. And, and I, you know, when um, I was writing by way of sorrow, um, I, I they knew what I was doing. I mean, it's no secret. Fortunately, as you described in, in, in giving my bio, I do still practice law full time. So it's not like I'm taking yeah. away from it. Um, it's, it's fortunate I have no social life because writing is what I do. <laughs> um, but they were aware of it. But then when I finished by way of sorrow and, and it was going out, um, before it was, was picked up, they said, you know, I better give a copy of the manuscript to, to, yeah. you know, my partner's, just so that they know what it's about and that they're comfortable because it does talk about politics in New Jersey and judges, Mm -hmm. you know, the legal system and everything else. And so I didn't want them to after, you know, say, wait a minute, you can't do this. You know, we're going to be in trouble. Um, So I gave it to them and, and they were, they've been thrilled for me. They couldn't be more supportive. Um, They have been great. Um, And I, I will say the New Jersey legal community as a whole has, has been wonderful to me and supportive and the Bar Association and, and everybody else. So um, it, it's been a, a, a really positive experience. That's awesome. That's awesome. That's a great, that's great. It's great when both your worlds are supportive and happy and, and excited. Um, well, Robin, thank you so much for such a great conversation and hopefully we can meet in 3d at some point soon, but congratulations on the books and looking forward to number three. Oh, Julie, thank you so much for having me. It's been a, a great conversation. I really enjoyed it. Thank you again. Thank you for being with us today. Sisters in crime is about community. 
We were founded to advocate for women crime writers, and we continue that mission by fighting for equity in the crime writing community. Sisters in Crime is an international, inclusive organization for all who write and love crime fiction, mystery, thrillers, and suspense. Join us at sistersincrime.org and make sure you subscribe to this podcast.